Ladies and gentlemen of the lower and middle classes, we invite you to bathe in the dewy and avaricious breath of the Celtic Tiger. Your days of impoverishment are over. We'll give you jobs. Just hand over your hard-earned savings and sign on the dotted line. Everything will be just peachy keen and fine. Pay no attention to the global financial crisis or the rising property rates or the multinational corporations who are gobbling up what remains of your middling resources. What's important here is to not think critically and to not ask questions. Keep your heads down while the tiger roars! So I am here with Anne Enright, who is most recently the author of The Forgotten Waltz. Anne, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I wanted to first of all ask you about this notion of this book possibly serving as a mini-allegory or a minute allegory. I noted that there was the Gresham Hotel, which nicely mimics Gresham's law in this book. And there were a number of lines about, you know, the acquisition of things flirting with someone just to flirt with someone. So I, I have to ask how you honed the right amount of allegory for this, or was that even important, uh, kind of a bonus that came to your your yeah. interesting series of squabbles here? I think uh, the thing about allegories is that they stay still, and what I wanted to do is do uh, a book that shifted morally, um, so that was more morally poised than an allegory might be. Yeah. So it's a, that a book that could be read by the lights of the reader themselves, you know. So whatever the reader thinks of Gina Moynihan, who is the central character, who is either a woman in love, um, uh, wonderfully in love, or, uh, you know, homewrecker, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted the reader to uh, maybe even shift their points of view um, about what Gina's up to. Um, and um, so it does parallel boom in Ireland. Yes. So there is a kind of allegorical content there that I did think that adultery, the feeling of just getting what you want, of getting away with it, was very suitable to Ireland in the last 10 years before the boom, where there was so much kind of glee and a kind of fantasy and a kind of denial that was going on. Yeah. Also, a huge amount of belief. You had to believe. If you didn't believe in the economic miracle, you were kind of heretic, you know, because if you take belief out of the system, there's nothing left. There's only debt. It's not money anymore. It's yes. a confidence trick. So I thought all of that was brilliant for an adulterous affair um, because you're doing, you're living on two levels at the same time, which was pretty much what people were doing. What's interesting, though, is that it is money that has Gina and Connor actually marrying, which I found to be an interesting choice. So that Gina's view in terms of her relationships, whether it is Connor or Sean, is very much predicated upon, well, it happens to be there. And so this leads me to ask if uh, this kind of moral concern uh, predated the alignment here with the Celtic Tiger and the like. Money is both important and interesting. It's also quite highly taboo. People yeah. don't talk about their money. They think about money all the time and they never or rarely articulate their relationship to money. Um, yeah, Gina and Connor get a mortgage almost yeah. before they get the wedding reception, you know, but, but that that was the reality. That is, you know, the reality in Ireland it was, and I think in many places of the Western world, it was hard to find a place and it was better to find a place if you're with somebody else. Um, and uh, I think marriage is also uh, a financial relationship. Yes. Whether it's primarily a financial relationship or, or, or it is, 
you know, that varies from couple to couple. But I don't think it was primarily a, 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 I mean, Gina, she's quite materialistic, but she's not a greedy girl. I mean, she does think about money, but she's not relentlessly acquisitive. Um, it's just that wanting is, 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 is problematic um, when money is involved. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask about the use of commas and dashes throughout the prose. Oh, uh, it's, nightmare. It's, well, a, a <laughs> My nightmare. nightmare. Well, well I, I'm, it's interesting because it does lend itself to a very conversational voice. But on the other hand, thinking of like the New York Times book review, you could always spot where they've edited it, where they have the dash and then some sort of subordinate clause and then the dash. And so I'm curious as to how this worked for you, whether some of these dashes and commas and, and various thoughts kind of entered into the editing or were they there from the get-go they, it was you know it was always a painful decision <laughs> all of that punctuation um yeah uh, gina is addicted to qualifications subordinate clauses uh, a little bit more uh, a little bit on the side yeah. the sentences don't run really simply um it mirrors the way people think um I have a real problem, I'm going to confess it to you now, with the run-on sentence yeah. and the semicolon. Um, but I do like putting a clause in the middle of a sentence to uh, to disturb it a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dash is a more, uh, I suppose, pure unit than, say, the colon or yes, the Yes, they are, and they give a bit of space on the page. Um, they The thing about... I like typing because I like the rhythm of typing. Uh, to me, it's like dancing on a sprung floor. I yeah. like a bit of trip and a bit of rhythm in the prose uh, because my, my narrators are often not omniscient. They don't know exactly what the end of the sentence is. I like to surprise. I like to see their surprise as their thoughts lead them on. It would seem to me that this more free-form approach to prose will probably lend you to discover more about the characters. For sure, but yeah. all the time, you know, um, the content for me is a kind of given, and I'm all the time trying to make the, make the cadences and the rhythms of it somehow beautiful and somehow to get the emotion and the poignancy and the into that rhythm, you know? So, I mean, that to me is the... That's that's what it's all about. And, and, and so... I love the spoken voice on the page. Uh, I love the challenge of it. I mean, if you put a tape recorder on someone, they don't speak in sentences. Sure. And, and the prose, you know, so, of course, even if you're writing realistic type, uh, a first person, it's, it's a mannered thing, you know. Yeah. David Mamet, there's a guy who uh, I love to read the as well as mammoth, the, the earlier mammoth <laughs> just and you know i worked in the theater very early on and and carol churchill as well do you know carol churchill puts a, a forward slash for interruptions people yes. interrupting each other on stage which is uh which is actually the way women talk they 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 wrap off each other they they it's a more improvisational a kind of jazz thing that they do yeah so they're always interrupting each other men are slightly more territorial about their speech um, I'd love to be able to do that on the page, but, you know, it would do wreck people's head. I, I want to actually talk about, well, it, it's early in the morning, so it seems fair to bring up. You're one of, I think, the great penis chroniclers <laughs> in literature. <laughs> Just to offer a sample, like from The Gathering, there's this wonderful moment. I'm always very complimentary. Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> You're very ample, let's say. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, so, so in The Gathering, there's this moment, and then again, there is nothing to fuss about. A young businessman having a hard-on beside you on a train. And there's that, that clause there. Even if you were recently bereaved. Given the state I'm in, I find the hydraulics of it more than peculiar. Uh, in this, we see Connor, who is farting while he's peeing, and the like. 
And it seems to me that, that there's almost this juxtaposition that causes these uncomfortable or candid moments, but also very much this concern for uh, physical, the physical and the aesthetic. And so I'm wondering um, how these moments come about. Uh, is it just a matter of, of amusing yourself? Is it a matter of uh, contemplating all anatomical possibilities? No, I mean, I am a chronicler of the body. I think we have no other place to live. I mean, that's where we are. Um, we are, as Yeats said, chained to a dying animal. Although I, and yearning to be free, he said, but um, I, I'm not all that interested in the dying aspect of it, although that's also sometimes interesting to write about. There is a, a very serious difference between The Gathering, which has many references yes. to the male member in it, and The Forgotten Waltz, which has few or none. Yes. Uh, and all of them playful, I think, or pretty much. Lots of them fleshy, too. There's L lots of yeah. flesh and fat. I've there made. is flesh and fat, for sure. Um, but uh, uh, an interviewer in The Gathering was, was very taken aback by the number of mentions of the male member. Um, and she was a really smart chick, and I thought, well, what's the problem? Why, what, is the, what, is, what is wrong? With what is wrong for a woman writer to write about this very important uh, part of the world? Yeah. Um, and I realise that women don't 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 want to think like like that. They don't want necessarily to think like men yeah. about anatomy. So in Gina's case, I very deliberately wrote a woman who was in love and who wasn't going to discuss her lover in a, in a physical way. It's all quite transcendent for her. It's quite, quite rosy and romantic. Uh, although their relationship is almost entirely physical, it's an affair, yes. but she doesn't describe it in entirely physical ways. And actually the forgotten waltz is a kind of description of their um, liaisons. Yes. Um, that, that it's something that sort of is hard to grasp. It's sort of forgotten, this dance, this love dance. Yeah. Why do you think there's this stigma? Because women do look at men in, in a physical capacity as well. Why do you think there's this stigma about women writers writing about this particular topic? Or, or writing about penises in general? I, I, I would I, like I, to see I old penises. I don't know why. I mean, I, I really don't know why. Um, uh, when I was growing up in Ireland, there were very few female writers to follow. Yeah. Uh, there were very, very... Uh, little of the female voice there in the literary tradition um, and I look to the work of women artists and visual artists yes. are often much more uh, frank in their approach and, and interesting and uh, and contradictory in their uh, um, approach to this. Um, I'm thinking in particular of Dorothy, Dorothy Cross who's an Irish artist who uh, uses uh, parts of the body in a kind of a very interesting way. We don't actually learn Gina's name until about 60 pages into the book. And it's also very interesting to me that Gina interchanges my mother with Joan, which immediately suggests a, a fraught relationship. Uh, I'm curious about this names issue. I've discussed it with a few other writers. Do you think that the reader has to earn the right to know the name of the protagonist? Or is it merely a reflection of Gina's insularity. When I'm writing, the moment of naming is a kind of magical thing. You, oh, yeah. you, you, you look for the name for the character. Um, and when you have the name, it is a kind of bap 
baptism. Yeah. Um, it, it is a kind of incarnation, put it that way, not a baptism. It's an incarnation of the character. Um, and I often come to names late, but when I have them, then I know how to run with the, the thing. I had terrible problems naming Sean. Yeah. I was texting my pal saying, I really need a really sexy Irish name for a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and the silence. Um, <laughs> And then I thought, why don't I just call him something really simple, uh, also Irish, and what, why would that not be romantic and sexy? I just called him Sean. Does this explain also the earliest side about Australian men wandering around Australia and being able to uh, to follow them or to have, you know, without being caught out of on, on this? Gina mentions this earlier. Uh, yeah, Gina mentions the yeah. men in Australia yeah. who are running along Sydney Harbour front, and she says the kind of men you'd follow without even knowing you were yes. following them. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm often right about wanting i mean and doing something like that without knowing that you're uh acting out your desires yeah is there anything that you would refrain from writing about or that you have been urged to tone down i don't write blasphemy ever um i i uh did uh very early on i did write a story that had a blasphemous content which was you know, um, maybe a necessary thing growing up in Catholic Catholic Ireland to get it out of your system. Yeah. But my mother cried, and I just can't do that to her. Huh. I just don't think it's worth doing that in in in, in fiction. So you don't want to hurt your family when you're writing. Fiction? My family is fantastic. They are so capacious and so relaxed in their response. They know what a book is. They, I, I, I'm writing all this stuff. They're, they are. Uh, uh, they don't. They never give me a hard time over the content of the books. And my mother's a very conservative woman. But she, she too knows what a, what a book is. I just don't feel I want to hurt her in that way. Yeah. Well, does this... I mean, she told me years yeah. ago, she said, if somebody worships a stone in the road, right, and you laugh at them, then they'll pick it up and hit you with it. <laughs> You've, so, you've earned that injury. Well, yeah, well, just that, that I, I do think that uh, spirituality is intensely private. Um, and as we see in the world today, a very underestimated dangerous force. Yeah, so spirituality is more important than sensuality, you would say. Yeah, they're actually very closely related, the sacred and the the spiritual. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the lyrics of someone like Leonard Cohen, who's so religious and so sexy at the same time. Yes. um, And seems to write about uh, sexual encounters as though they were transcendental spiritual encounters in the body. so yeah, no, it's just it's just personal. I I I also think that blasphemy is kind of intellectually silly. It, you're no further on, you know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Reflection and look. At one point in the gathering, you have Veronica focusing on her fleeting reflection in the car window, where she sees the streak of a smile. And what's interesting about the forgotten waltz, there's this early moment with Gina and Sean where their affair begins with a similar concern for glances. It's almost like this Jacques Tati moment uh, where Gina describes seeing Sean at work. I saw him through the glass wall before he saw me, and I couldn't think what was wrong with him. Um, I'm curious about this interest in look and how it actually forms almost a bedrock of the relationships in your, in your novels and, and how you have uh, arrived at this, uh, whether consciously or, or unconsciously. Yeah, I, I wrote in The Gathering, I spent three months writing a scene in which nothing happens except people, two people looked at each other yeah. uh, or didn't actually look at each other. Um, and I don't know why that is. I, I did have to go back through the text 
um, and take out some of the looks. I I, I realised really? there were so many glances in it yeah. that I that I had to have a thesaurus moment <laughs> and go back. <laughs> and uh, because I also used the word look for seemed, you know, it yeah. looked like this, you yeah. know. Um, I don't know what that is. I mean, this it, it's the drama of people in a space. Um, and I think once you have two people in a room, you have a story, you yeah. know, so it's uh, the the drama of, I don't know, the gaze, the gaze. I, my uh, characters are very, se- they seldom or never look at themselves in a mirror, for example. I'm not, you know, there's a whole feminist interest in the gaze and the male gaze yeah. that I, doesn't really interest me because my characters really live from the inside out, you yeah. know? Yeah. They don't live from the outside in. Yeah. Or they're not presented from the outside in. I don't really discuss their clothes all that much or whatever. But you also, in fact, while we're on that subject, what's interesting about the Forgotten Waltz is you don't really have a lot of description about the exterior of these houses. There's a lot of description about the interior. We Mm. do see the clothes described. We do see the items that are accumulated and the like. And and this would seem to sort of run with this particular theme. Uh, I'm wondering if it comes from inhabiting the interior mode of these characters or perhaps trying to defeat all known cliches about describing suburbia where you usually have the picket fences and the, and the houses and all that. Yeah, they're too socially specific. Yeah. You want, um, uh, you know, and the inside of a house is sometimes like the inside of your head. Yes. You know, as you walk from room to room and you say, oh God, I have to get a damp course in and all yeah. the problems that you have at the house. I seem to be the fabric of yourself somehow. Um, so maybe it's the same as with my characters that I don't describe them so much from the outside. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that much. Huh. What, why this reluctance to investigate the exterior? Well, um, when I was a student in UEA, a guy said to me, I don't know anything about your characters. I don't know what their wallpaper's like, right? Yeah. So I was really obsessed for a while by wallpaper. <laughs> I kept on looking <laughs> at wallpaper and yeah. I couldn't make sense of it. Um, but th- I realized he was an English guy, a um, uh, working class English guy. What he wanted to know was what social class they were. Because the English novel is endlessly concerned with class and the Irish novel is not endlessly concerned with class we were weird to think we were all Irish and we weren't different classes of course it, this was a lie yeah but I was also weird not to judge people by what they had yeah very strongly and I don't want I don't write satire I mean there are labels and stuff in this but it's not Brett Easton Ellis you know yeah I, I I'm not looking at um I'm not looking at my characters to laugh at them you know yeah I'm not saying I'm not saying. Oh, they live in this horrible little house. <laughs> you you feel that external imagery cheapens the life of your characters. Is that safe to say? No, it it means I think what it does is that it get, invites the reader to judge them in a way that I'm not interested in. Uh huh. Uh huh. How do you defeat the inevitability though of reader judgment? Oh, I invite it in this book yes. and and play with it as much as I can. I mean, that's that's the joke for me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Near the end of the book, Gina confesses that she feels the world would be better if it was run by girls who are nearly 12. <laughs> the ability they have to be fully moral and fully venal at the same time. Yet we see throughout the book that Gina is very concerned with her age. She's interested in how her mother looks. And you're talking about judgment just to offer my own take on this. I, I found her almost a very sort of sad character because she's clinging to some... Uh, remainder of youth. She's she's concerned for her age, and, and yet I, I, I can sort of sympathize with her because uh, she's not 
really being um, she can't really see the fact that her husband is is sitting at home watching DVDs of The Wire and The Simpsons. She can't comprehend the fact that she's hurting people. She 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 both cares and doesn't care. And, and while she does find some interesting way to to confront people at the end, I'm I'm curious about how this this aging aspect developed in her character. Well, that's kind of interesting because I didn't see her being worried necessarily about getting old. Um, she has no biological clock that she's aware of. Yeah. She's quite averse to the whole physical business of procreation. Yeah. It freaks her out slightly for very good reason, I have to add, because it is kind of freaky, yeah. you know, having, getting pregnant, all of that. Another human being. Yes. <laughs> kind yes. Of like, um, that's not outside in the world, but uh, inside in your tummy. Um, tummy. Sorry. Oh, it's uh, okay. You can say whatever here. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 it's Sean who's having the age uh, crisis. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't think Gina had got there yet. Maybe my own middle-aged concerns are seeping into the book. Yeah. But I did have kind of fun writing a, a woman who was younger than me, yeah. who wasn't so fretful about all of these things. There's one funny line. I had already slept with this man. What else was there to do but with him? <laughs> and uh, the it thing turns is, out there's lots. There is, though. Of course, there's plenty. Um, you know, men are very flexible in this book. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious about like how you arrive at, at again in such a, such a candid moment like that. Is it really just a matter of having no filter whatsoever? Um, I don't have a. I don't arrive at candid moments. They sort of arrive at me, really. Um, I don't fight for them. Um, I do, I think maybe it's partly to do with where the narrator is talking from. I mean, it is a very uncensored monologue. It's close to something you might say on the phone, but it's not actually what you might say on the phone. It's what you might think of saying on the phone. So it's both intimate and, uh, you know, only censored after the fact. Oops, did I say that? (laughs) You know, Um, uh, and... Perhaps that's why, I don't know how other people think, but I think lots of things all the time. And I, I, I think that people censor themselves endlessly um, and that we're encouraged to, I would say particularly women, but maybe that's wrong, um, that how can you think that? Well, you can think anything you like. Yes. The repression or the restraint of consciousness doesn't interest you so much. Um, I wouldn't be good at it, I don't think. <laughs> and besides, there's plenty, plenty of fiction about repression yeah. of consciousness. Do you feel that you find this spirit of omission through just being blatant like that, that that's the best way to, to sort of uh, reveal by what is not revealed? No, I mean, I, 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 I'm slightly wary of my aphoristic tendencies, you know, to say something smart and then move on. Um, so... Um, I mean, it's something other people notice in my work more than I notice at the time. I mean, she says that, but it's completely, it's an insight, but only a fractional one. I mean, she moves on. There's loads more to be done with Sean. It's like, she said, why is he still annoying me? We've reached the point of what we were supposed to be doing, you know? Um, But of course, there's more and more and more. I wanted to bring up one moment when Gina initiates the affair with Sean. You do something quite interesting, or at least I found it quite interesting. Sean is appearing at this presentation called The Culture of Money. And pages later, you have Gina describing the luxury of the kiss. And then as we continue to read this chapter, we find the phrase, the fear of age, which may also explain my previous question. So we have these almost faux-partitive noun phrases, and I'm curious how a moment like that arrives in your, in your prose, a, a sort of a, a, a mimetic 
transformation from the original culture of money, or is this something that's just entirely un unintentional? I used to like the metaphysical, well, I still like the yeah. metaphysical poets um, and the idea of they had of unlike ideas yoked by violence together. I mean, it's not unlike ideas, it's whatever it is, that you put two things together yeah. and they make a new noise. You bang them off each other, two new types of words. Yeah. yeah, does yeah. that make sense? It does. But like you, the luxury of the kiss implies that there, the luxury is a part of the kiss. That's what I'm well, sort of saying. Yeah, Yeah. well... Um, that it's almost an inventive part similar to the sort of Celtic Tiger. She says that a kiss is like birdsong. It's yes. so much more beautiful than useful. You know, that it, it, you know that all they need to do, presumably birds, is attract each other a bit. You know what I mean? And say, yeah. I'm here, you know, whatever it is. But instead you get this fabulous transcendent music. Um, and so it's a bo it's a bonus, it's an excess, and that's what luxury is, is an excess or something that we don't need. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a kiss is a very luxurious thing to do. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to bring up, because we were talking about names earlier, uh, Fiarca, uh, who is seen at the party with his pregnant wife, who shows up with this bag of croissants when Gina basically says, I'm a pariah. Yeah. Um, I know the name comes from the Lear myth, um, where you have four children who were transformed into yeah. the swan uh, for, for, for 900 years. I'm wondering how this character came about. I mean, he's almost a, more, a slightly more proactive parallel to Connor, and yet there's also this interesting mythological component to him. And so I, I, and I liked his character quite a bit, so I was curious about him. Yeah, he's a mate, which is a new thing. Um, women have male friends like that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a mate. Um, I, I, I like Fierker a lot. He's, he's, I, didn't, I, I wanted to describe him. He's a lanky sort of guy. And he's, uh, 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 and he's ironic. And he would have a kind of little twist to him that would make, uh, to the way he thinks, that would make him really attractive as a conversationalist, but that Gina wouldn't have been interested in him in, in, uh, in sexual terms, yeah. particularly. Um, yeah, and he ends up looking after his baby while his wife goes out to work and uh, uh, he's a good guy. But is there ever a danger of say an effervescent or an interesting side character taking over the narrative? I mentioned this of course in light of the considerable population that was housed in the gathering. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. The, the, uh, well, it's interesting about Fierke because uh, I think that's your capacious mind. I've <laughs> noticed Fierke. Nobody else has yet. Uh, brought him up I haven't really thought about him that much except that I like him yeah uh, and he, he he has a kind of uh, old fesh, old fashioned intelligence or whatever he, he's the kind of guy who's she says is always dragged backwards out of a room because he's always it's like he drinks a lot but he's actually just hanging out and chatting more you know yeah. um, I didn't really think about the Lear myth all that much oh <laughs> well where did you get the name from Fiona is, uh, and I worried about it. The sister is called Fiona, and yeah. um, I do sometimes worry about. I'm putting in names that are hard to pronounce, and people will uh, be uh, get a, a, an adverse reaction to that when they're reading. But it is, uh, it's, it, it's very socially specific. It's a middle class uh, Irish name of a certain type. In the time when everybody was naming people after their lear That's yeah. that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. Thanks very much. It was okay. a pleasure. Right. Yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Know me, still the same OG, but I've been low key. Hated on by most these niggas with no cheese, no deals and no G's, no wheels and no keys, no boats, no snowmobiles.
clothes and no skis Mad at me cause I can finally afford to provide my family with groceries Got a crib with a studio and a saw full of tracks To add to the wall full of plaques Hanging up in the office and back of my house like trophies Did y'all think I'ma let my dough freeze? Hold please, you better bow down on both knees Who you think taught you to smoke trees? Who you think brought you to OD?